the free items as well if you're a guest. Well, if you turn in your Bibles, our scripture reading this morning will come from the book of Second Peter. The book of Second Peter, as James will be opening the word of God for us this morning as he continues on in this wonderful book, a book and the passage that is very relevant to our time today regarding false teachers and false teaching. We begin in the book of Second Peter. We will begin our reading from Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And we will go to Second Peter chapter 2, verse 3. The book of Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you will do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be also false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Well, this morning we're privileged to have James Barbalitos, our pastor of student ministries, come and open the word. So, James. Thank you, Pastor Joe. It is indeed always a a pleasure to bring the word of God to you. Let me back up a little bit for the sake of the closer rows. Well, we've uh, officially finished our first week in 2010, and so I hope that uh, uh, many of you have, uh, I don't know, thought about some goals for the upcoming year and and have stuck to them. It's only been one week, so uh, even if you haven't stuck to them, it's good to uh, start again. It's not too late. Uh, Maybe catch up on some of that uh, reading the Bible in a year, if that's what you have picked. Uh, But whatever it is, I I encourage the youth on Friday and and again uh, this Sunday, just to, to, it is good to... to, um, to have goals and to desire to grow spiritually and to mature in your faith. Um, if, you, if you focus on growing in the Lord, uh, that will help prepare you for whatever uh, 2010 may bring, uh, whether uh, prosperity or, or struggles. And so I'd encourage you that if you haven't done so already, yeah, think about ways you could grow and, uh, and find somebody to help keep you accountable and, then, and work towards that this year. Well, it was the day after Christmas, uh, a few years back in, in a small town in, in Thailand. The, uh, the local townsfolk had just woken up and were preparing for the day. Uh, it, was, it was a nice sunny day and, and the local fishermen were up early cleaning their nets. Uh, the uh, restaurant owners were uh, preparing their uh, places of business for the day, cleaning the tables, arranging the tables for their guests. Um, some of the, the stores were uh, sweeping and opening up, getting ready to open up their shops. 
And it was, it was pretty much a, a, just a normal day. And it was uh, the day after Christmas. And so uh, there had maybe been some, a uh, little bit of celebrating in the, in the town by some of them the night before. Uh, but this particular morning, uh, the day after Christmas, was a Sunday morning. And, and Sundays in this small town were the day of, of the market, the big market in town. And so uh, many of the, the local vendors and shop owners were preparing their booths and their tables uh, to set up for the market uh, of that day. Um, hoping to, of course, always uh, get the attraction of the tourists. And as for the tourists, well, uh, many of them uh, were finally starting to arouse. Uh, lots of them stayed up late the night before celebrating for Christmas. And they were just getting ready for uh, the things you do in Thailand. Another day at the beach, maybe uh, perusing the, the marketplace or shops for uh, things to wear. And it, was, it seemed to be just like a normal day uh, in the tropics, nice and quiet and... Um, and, and good, but little did they know that that morning uh, would, would death and destruction be heading towards them. Uh, because early in the morning, December 26, 2004, in the, in the early hours of that morning, uh, an undersea megathrust earthquake struck off the side of Indonesia, 9.3 on the Richter scale, and it caused waves up to 100 feet high to speed towards the coastlands of that region. The waves devastated the coastlands, causing billions of dollars in damage and costing over 230,000 people their life. It is one of the most devastating natural disasters in recorded history. You see, when they woke up in the morning, they thought everything was fine and, and, and everything seemed to be going fine. In fact, the weather was good, but unbeknownst to them, death and destruction was speedily heading towards them. It was a tragedy. And many of you remember that on the news. It was not too long ago. And many experts say that, uh, that many lives could have been saved if, if they would have had some sort of better tsunami warning, if the word would have gotten out, if they would have had some sort of alarm system to, to help the people move to safety, to move to high ground, uh, similar to kind of what we have on, even on our Washington coast for tsunamis. You see, as, as with most danger, much of the, the destruction, and especially the loss of life, can be uh, minimized or even avoided if, if people are alerted ahead of time that danger is coming. And in fact, this same, the, the same principle can apply to us spiritually. And the last time I spoke to you, I talked about this, this warning beacon that we have. This tool that we have which, which gives us warning to, to danger and destruction spiritually that's coming towards us and, and empowers us to, to guard against it, to protect ourselves against it. In fact, uh, that is one of the, the very purposes that God gave it to us. And what is this tool? What is this warning beacon? It's the Word of God. It's a prophetic word. It's not based on fables or made-up stories. It's not based on your own strength or uh, your own personal experience. No. As we looked at last time and as as Joe just read, Peter reminds us that um, our strength comes from the prophetic word, which was given to us directly by God for our equipping. Now this morning we we begin in chapter 2, but up until now, Peter has has reminded us, told us, and re-reminded us us of of this truth. He's made it clear. In the beginning of chapter 1, he he reminds us that God's divine power has has given you everything you need for life and godliness. It has equipped you for for anything that life might throw your way. And then following that, he, he, he gave us some basic principles that Christians should live by based upon the Word of God. How should, your life, how should you live your life? What, what are the characteristics that your life reflects? 
and the problems that, that, that occur if you don't reflect them. And then he says, you know, don't, don't, don't take my word for it. I'm giving you all this instruction because I know it's the truth. You see, I've seen the glory of God. I was with the Lord when he revealed his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. I know it's the truth. And the other apostles know, it, know it's the truth. So listen to us. But if you don't want to take our word for it, then look to the scripture. Because the scripture confirms everything we say. If you don't want to take my experience, don't believe things just on your experience or my experience. Believe them because God has said so. And you can know it's the truth because even though the word of God was given to us by prophets, really it was from God. And in verse 21, he affirms, he says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, look, no matter what I say, test my words with Scripture. Test everybody's word with Scripture. In fact, cling to Scripture. Let it be your guide. And speaking about Scripture, even just uh, back up to, to verse 19, he says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word, speaking of Scripture, to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place. You see, Peter says, listen, it's important that you know the Word of God because it is your warning beacon. It is what's going to guide you. Let it guide you like you would let a light guide you on a path in a dark place. You have to depend upon that light. If you don't, danger might come. And we need to do that as well because, you know, the truth of the matter is we live in a dark place. The world is, is, is full of wickedness and sin and the consequences of which surround us all the time and, and everybody can see that. The world is a dark place. And so we need the guide. We need the guide of Scripture. You need this light to help you distinguish truth from error, right from wrong. And when you do that and when you strive after that, not only will you be safer, but you too become lights in the world. In fact, Jesus says concerning the disciples and Christians, you are the light of the world. And so not only do we use Scripture to be our guide, but we use it to help be the guide of others as well. And so Peter reminds us and re-reminds us and, and stresses this important truth to us. Why? Well, because it is important. But also, in writing to the early church, because he knew the danger that was coming. He knew there was danger coming to the early church. And he knew the the damage that it could bring. You see, he reminds them that the Old Testament prophets, well, that's when he speaks the prophetic word, they they didn't have the complete canon, the the complete New Testament like we have today, but they had the Old Testament. and, And so Peter reminds them that these Old Testament prophets, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was God who spoke. They were beacons of truth. But beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, just like that, there was true prophets who brought the word of God, beginning in verse 1, he says, but false prophets also among, arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. When Peter says, um, arose among the people, he, he's speaking of the Jews of the Old Testament. You see, as I mentioned, back then, just as there was prophets of truth and light, so arose prophets of darkness and deceit. And they led a people astray. And all throughout the Old Testament, we can see their influence. And their influence led to judgment and destruction. 
And there's many examples that we could go to, but I think the prophet Jeremiah shows us a good example of this in Lamentations 2. So I, I invite you to, to turn there with me. Lamentations chapter 2. Lamentations is located after the book of Jeremiah and just before the book of Ezekiel. And during this time, the prophet Jeremiah, he, he's writing to the people, telling them and warning them about the destruction that is heading towards them because of their disobedience, because they had turned from the Lord. And in Lamentations chapter 2, beginning in 13, verse 13, Jeremiah writes, What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I might comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. All who pass along on the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the earth? You see, what had happened was the people of Israel had, had turned from following the true prophets, the true word of God. And what they had done is followed false prophets who had just told them that things were okay, who were, who were tickling their ears with uh, of, of prophecies of, of joy and of blessing. And, and they, they weren't warning the people of their sin. And what had happened was they followed after them and as a result, judgment came. Jerusalem was destroyed and their kingdom was conquered. So much so that when people would walk by, they would look and shake their heads. This was Jerusalem? This was the holy city? The perfection of beauty? Jeremiah says that it had become ruin. Their ruin was as vast as the sea. And the early church, especially the Jews, they would have remembered what the false prophets had done in the Old Testament and their, their, their impact on the church. And so now Peter says, listen... You need to depend and cling to the Word of God, not only for your spiritual growth, but just to be prepared because, you know what? Just as there was false prophets in the early days, so there will be false prophets now. And in fact, it's most likely that that Peter had already dealt with a number of the false prophets, and we know certainly that Paul was dealing with them. And so Peter was concerned for the church. He was concerned for us, all the future churches, because it's the same. Just like there were false prophets in the early church, so are there false prophets here today. So we need to be on our guard. And so Peter here, he's worried about their influence, and so he writes to the church. And he warns them of the destruction that they can bring. So from this passage, I'm going to give you three ways which false teachers damage the church. So that you will be on your guard against them and encouraged to stand firm on the word of truth. Three ways which false teachers damage the church so that you will be on your guard against them and encouraged to stand firm on the word of truth. And the first is that false teachers damage the church's doctrine. False teachers damage the church's doctrine. And what do I mean by doctrine? What is doctrine? Well, doctrine, it's a teaching or principle that it forms the basis of our belief. 
It's a basic teaching of something. Our understanding of truth. Say like the doctrine of the Trinity. That means what do we believe about the Trinity? The doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of sin. And when false teaching comes in, it damages our understanding of that. It damages many people in the church's correct understanding of truth. And continuing on in, in verse 1, of going back to Second Peter, Peter warns about the damage that comes. And he says, Just as there will be false teachers, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, who bought them. You see, Peter says, look, they're not going to come in with a big fireworks or display. They're going to come in unnoticed. They're not going to announce themselves. They're not going to go around wearing t-shirts that say, false prophet. They're not going to show up to your Bible studies or, or churches that people may attend and before they preach saying the following message is completely contrary to everything the Bible says. Right? Why? Well, because no one in their right mind would listen to them. Why? We would get up and leave. But that's not how they work. You see, as Peter says, they come in secretly, undercover, and they quietly and slowly introduce destructive heresies, destructive teachings. And once this happens, they, they come in and they, they slowly integrate their teaching so that they can get a following, so that other people start believing and thinking like they do. And once they get a, a strong enough following, then that teaching, it's hard to get rid of. It's hard to, to extinguish. And it's true that even some of the false teaching that was uh, popular and, and had arose back in the early church still remains today. Sometimes it's in different forms, but the principles are still here. But we don't see it all the time. They don't announce it. It just slowly kind of integrates until before you know it's been established and you might even be affected by it if you're not careful. And what is this like? It's kind of like buying, you know when you buy, let's say a new shirt or maybe gals, a blouse and it's colorful and it's nice and you're excited to wear it and so you wear it and you wear it around and it looks pretty much the same, but then after times you wash it a few times and dry it, and, and time goes on, and you're not really noticing a difference. But then one day you see somebody else who is wearing something similar, or you see an old picture of it, and you're like, whoa, you know, this purple shirt, this blue shirt is completely faded and it's worn. It doesn't look anything like the color I originally bought it. You see, all the while, while you were wearing it, washing it, you didn't really see a notice in the change of color. But then one day, when you, when you compare it back to the original color, it's, it's been faded and worn, and it's not like the original. And that's how false teaching works. It creeps into the church, and, and they make it seem as if everything's the same, but before you know it, your understanding of truth has been faded and worn, and it's not like it was originally. So it's important to know God's Word and to test all teaching by its standard. It is our guide. It is our beacon. Be prepared because there is false teachers and there will be false teachers. Be on your guard. And Jesus warns us of that as well. In Matthew 7.15, He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You see, even Jesus, the Lord, He says, Look, they're going to be hard to spot. It's not going to be easy, but you need to be prepared. You need to guard yourself to be ready for them. 
And later he, he, he admits, you will know them by their works. And so some of you might be thinking, well, okay, James, I understand, and this is not good, and I don't want this, but I don't want to be influenced by false teaching, so I don't want to be influenced by these heresies that, Paul, that Peter's talking about. So which specific heresies is he talking about so that I know not to believe in them? Well, you know, he doesn't say. We don't know precisely what they are. But I think he, he, he's applying, he applies this to anything that might be contrary to the, the core teachings of Scripture. These are what destructive heresies are. The word heresy, it's semi-common in Christian vernacular, but in the original Greek, it just means a division of something, a section, something that it's been broken off apart. It didn't necessarily originally mean something bad. But even by the early, by the second century, Christians used the term to mean how we kind of mean it. That something that's been broken off of the truth and is bad, it's changed the truth. It's not uniform to our correct thinking. That is what heresy is. They bring in these teachings that are different and new and change our original understanding of the gospel and the word of God to something for their own desires. And these teachings crept in and they still do. And if you don't believe that they still do, uh, just maybe take a look at uh, most of the Christian colleges around the country. You know, the, the, the Christian colleges, and, and you know, even many of the, the original secular universities were, were founded and were a, a place where our young people could go and get trained in the Word of God and be instructed for, for ministry or life. But over time, slowly and steadily, their stands for truth became to weaken and weaken and was watered down and watered down. And recent uh, research by uh, people like Answers and Genesis and other Christian institutes say that the overwhelming majority of Christian colleges today teach evolution as fact. And they do not hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. And they, and they deny the traditional gender roles of men and women within the family, within the church. Look, if, look it up for yourself. It's, it's the case. And these teachings have, from the colleges, went into the church. And it's damaging. It's damaging the church doctrine. And ultimately, I think that these, the reason why these teachings could come into the church is because of an even more destructive heresy. And this destructive heresy is tolerance. It's tolerance. And some of you may think, whoa, Pastor James, are, are you saying that Christians should be intolerant? In a word, yes. If it's concerning sin, we need to be loving and compassionate but intolerant of sin, intolerant of sinful lifestyles, intolerant of anything that's opposed to the truth in God's Word. Because this desire of tolerance has, has, has led to the acceptance of sin. People want to be more loving than they want to stand firm on the church. And what has happened, and this has led many liberal congregations to not only be accepting of things, say, like homosexuality, but now even some of them ordain gay pastors. And some of the more conservative uh, denominations haven't gone that far, praise the Lord. But because of their idea of, of being over-loving and, and compassionate, they, they fail to practice ter- church discipline. Not seeing that when you practice church discipline, that is showing love. Desiring a person to repent and come back to the Lord. And you can see this, and it's had a damaging effect on the church. 
because it leads people astray from the truth and it tricks them into thinking that what, how they're believing and what they're doing is the truth when indeed it's not. And so Peter affirms this and he calls these heresies destructive. And these are not minor debates. These are not debates like, you know, when the Lord is coming back or when the rapture is going to happen. These are core teachings of the truth. These are things that strike at the very heart of the gospel. And Peter says that, going down, back down to verse 1, he says that these destructive heresies, they, they will bring in, secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. These men and women who, who claim to be Christians, who claim to be saved by the blood of Christ, deny His, his very work. They deny His deity. Or that they might deny that uh, they might deny that he literally rose on the third day, that it's all allegorical or metaphorical, or, or they, they deny that faith alone in him, repentance and faith in him, is good enough for salvation. That you have to continue to work and do things to get into heaven. And they attack the message of the apostles in the early church. They even attack the integrity of the apostles themselves. And so you see Peter and even often Paul writing, saying, Look, they're attacking me, but I don't care. Let them say whatever. I'm, I'm not greedy. I'm not this way. You know me by my, by my actions. And we see that the false teachers do this because they're not driven by a desire to find truth. But they're driven by selfishness and greed. And what happens is they lead people into correct doctrine... And by doing this, they affect the way people live. And this brings me to the second point. False teachers damage the church's ethics. False teachers damage the church's ethics. And what do I mean by ethics? Ethics, they're the moral principles that govern a way a person lives or acts. Ethics are are the moral principles that govern the way a person lives or acts. You see, false teachers, they damage the integrity of church doctrine. And as a result, the ethics are changed. Because the way a person, what a person believes is going to drive the way they live. Your understanding of doctrine is going to, is going to drive how you act and react to things. Right? If you think stealing is wrong, you are not going to steal. If you think murder is wrong or committing adultery is wrong, then you're not going to do it. Or you're going to know it's wrong when you do it. But when those type of things change, where you start saying, well, you know, living that lifestyle, that's not so bad. It's not really, I mean, it's bad for some, but for others it's okay. Slowly and steadily then you start being more accepting of those, those lifestyles. So if somebody's doctrine goes wrong, it just it falls along the same path that so also their, their ethics are going to go wrong. And, and Peter, he, he picks up on this. And, and so beginning in verse 2, he says this, Second Peter 2. Concerning false teachers, he says, And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Peter, Peter says, Because of their teaching, many, of, many people are going to follow in their sensual ways. You see, I, I don't think the goal of false teachers is just to introduce some sort of heresy and leave. No, they, they want to stay and they want people to follow after them. They want to gain a following. People 
gain a following of people who live like them. And maybe an early church example would be people we would call the Judaizers. And, what, and who the Judaizers were, were they were, they were Jews who would, would follow part of the teachings of Christ, but say, what, even if you have faith in Christ, you still need to follow the Old Testament law. You still need to be circumcised, and you still need to uh, obey the dietary laws if you're really saved. And it was attacking the very heart of the gospel, that it's by faith, not by works. But still, because they were teachers and leaders, they had influence. And you know what? Many of you parents, you might, you might see this. Teachers have a lot of power to influence. You know, if you have young kids, you start to see that they start picking up on your own habits, right? Maybe your own phrases or the way you, your attitude towards something. I mean, the phrase, you're just like your father, was coined for a specific reason. And maybe it's not just parents. Maybe it's an older sibling towards a younger sibling. Or maybe if you send your kids off to public school and after a while they come home and they're starting to pick up habits of other people. And you're like, well, they didn't have this before. Somebody's influencing them. Teachers can have a profound influence on the way we act and live. And so Peter warns that many will follow their sensuality. And I think this is the main goal of, of, of many false teachers. I, I honestly don't think that, that many of them actually think they are false teachers. You know, not many of them wake up in the morning and go, Ah, oh, another day of deceiving God's people. You know, I got them all tricked and they're putting on their tie, you know. I think many of them don't think they're false teachers. I think most of them result from, uh, they come from one or two or both of two different reasons. One of them is that they have an incorrect understanding of the Bible. They haven't studied, they haven't examined enough, and so they have an incorrect understanding of the Bible, and so they teach others incorrectly. They haven't studied, they have a misunderstanding of church doctrine, and so they lead others to do the same. Or, these false teachers refuse to submit to Scripture and seek to change its meaning to fit their lifestyle. You see, they, they have a particular lifestyle that they like. And they might know that Scripture says you shouldn't live that, but they're like, I don't want to give that up. Does God really want me not to do that? Does God really want me not to have relations outside of marriage or to, to not do these certain things? And so maybe, maybe God's Word isn't really saying that. Maybe it's saying something different. And so they change the meaning of Scripture to fit their own lifestyle. They're going to live a certain way no matter what. Because, you know, let's face it, denying the lust of the flesh is hard. It's not easy. It's going to be a constant struggle your whole life. But it's easy just to, to put it aside and say, I'm not going to do it. You see, many teachers, they change the meaning of Scripture to, to fit their lifestyle. Or, or they use different doctrines in the church like free grace. We have freedom in Christ. And so they, they, they take those liberties and they say, well, I can live any way I want because Christ has already forgiven me of my sin. I don't, I don't have to live a particular way. Maybe their heart convicts them. But what they do then is they, they want to live sensually and so they try to get others to live it as well so that there's less conviction of sin. Because you see, the, the more people you can convince to, to live like you, then uh, the less there is conviction of sin and the more it's like, yeah, this is okay. Come on, everybody's doing it. And then you get a bigger following and then you change doctrine. And so that's how false teachers work. They... they 
Sometimes they just have a misunderstanding of Scripture, or sometimes they, they just don't want to abide by, by the commands of Scripture, and so they change its meaning. And in so doing, they, they attack the doctrine of Scripture, but then they also attack the church's ethics. And that's why so many of our churches are so watered down today. They're afraid to stand up for the truth. And the Greek word for sensuality, it, it conveys this idea of, of lack of restraint concerning moral behavior. You just give in to whatever pleases you and you don't have any regard for restraining yourself or self-control. And usually it's talking about sexual sin in the context of Scripture, but it's not necessarily limited to that. Some, some versions may translate that word shameful or destructive ways because they are. False teachers want to live by their own standards and not by God's standards. And then they try to trick people into thinking that their own standards are God's standards. Be careful of this. Test everything with the Word of God. It is your beacon. It is your source of light in this dark world. Well, Peter tells us, as a result, many Christians will follow in their sensual ways. And as a result, this leads to probably the worst destruction of all. Which leads to the third point, is that false teaching damages the church's testimony. False teaching damages the church's testimony. Peter continues and he says, back to verse 2, he says, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Honestly, this truth should break the heart of every person in this room. That the gospel... The way of truth, that's what Peter means. The gospel, the name of our Lord, will be blasphemed because of them and because of the many people following after them. Don't blaspheme the way of truth. Be careful. Be careful. The word blasphemy, it means to speak against or or to speak evil of, to tarnish or to, to, to hurt somebody's reputation. Man, we should be so worried about the name of our Lord, the one who saved us, who died on the cross for our sins. We, we want everything in our life to exalt His name and never want to be the cause of His name being tarnished in any way. Yet when people in church live sensually and follow after these false teachings, that's what happens. Why? Because the world mocks at that. The world sees that. The world sees them and says, You hypocrites! Yeah, sure, you claim that Jesus is somebody to be worshipped and that He's the basis of your salvation and that He's truth and He's changed your life, but your lives are no different than anybody else's. That's just some sort of thing you have to, to have hope in the next world. You don't really believe that. You, you hypocrites. And, and the world, they typically don't distinguish between denominations. To them, everything, if you go to church, is just Christianity. And so every time some sort of major scandal rocks the church or there's some sort of strange teaching that's away from the doctrine, it it doesn't just affect that specific church. It it affects all of us, doesn't it? The world says, you you put up this facade of holiness and truth, but you're just the same as everybody else. Cling to the gospel, church. The gospel, the basis of the gospel is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. 
it's about our sin. It's not about hearing God in the shower or hearing new revelations. It's not about sending money to get special healing blankets or, or trying to get money back from God. No, it's just about reconciling your sin to God's through the work of Jesus' death on the cross. That's the gospel. And don't listen to any teaching that changes that. It's not about us and what we can get. It's about Him. Don't be influenced by them, but stand strong. And Peter, Peter continues about uh, this, beginning in verse 3. And after the way the truth has been blasphemed, verse 3 says, And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. You see, so many false teachers, they, they care about money and their own pleasures than they do about the truth. They are in ministry not for other people's souls, but for their own profit. Yeah, okay, some of them have a misunderstanding of, of Scripture. Some of them just want to live in their own sin, and so they, they try to get others as well. But then there's others who, who are in it for their own gain. They're con men. And they take advantage of people in the church. And Peter describes them very well, actually, a few verses down. Just look in uh, chapter 2, verses 14. And speaking about false teachers, Peter says, They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. You see, false teachers, they're experts at what they do. They're very well spoken. They, they might be charming. They're appealing to people. Charismatic and maybe well liked. But as Jesus said, inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And they're seeking to exploit you for their own greedy gain. They promise things that are false. They give false hope to people. In fact, they're able to convince even the poorest of people to send in their money. And you might have seen that on TV. You might have heard stories about that. Even the most poor people who, who need hope send in their money thinking there's some sort of, of uh, extra blessing if they give everything they have. They're not giving out of a, a joyful heart. They're getting to give something back. And, and because of that, so many lives have been led into ruin. And the world sees that and they mock. And, the, and lives are destroyed. People within the church are hurt. And the testimony of the church is damaged. These men and, and women, these false teachers, they care not for souls, but they care for gain. So I hope you see the importance of Peter's warning here. Because they're, they're there amongst the prophets, they're there amongst the early church, and they're among us today as well. And we need to guard against them. And how do we do it? We do it by clinging to the Scripture. We do it by clinging to the Scripture. And not being exploited by false words. The term for false, and, and, and some of your versions might say deceptive or made-up stories, it's, um, it's the Greek word plastos, and it's where we get our English word plastic from. Yeah, And, and what, it, what it means, it, it just, it's something that appears genuine, like the genuine article, but upon further examination you see that it's, it's a cheap imitation. This isn't pewter, this is plastic, Right? See, from the outside and from a distance, it looks correct. But when you really look at it and examine it, it turns out to be just a cheap imitation and not the genuine article. And that's what false teachers bring. 
Don't be tricked by a cheap imitation, by cheap teachings that just seek to exploit you or to get you to, to live in sinful ways so that your conviction of sin might be uh, extinguished, that you might become callous to sin. Well, rest assured, uh, Peter gives us a warning of the damage that false teachers can bring. But he also he reminds us that we are not going to be conquered by them. We are not going to be conquered by them. They are not going to have the victory. Indeed, God knows what's going on. He sees them and He will deal with them. But in the meantime, we need to be careful as a church to not give in to their false teaching, to stand strong. And, and, and through this, I, I just want to give you a few areas that you might, just some areas of application that you might watch out for in your own life. And the first is, uh, be cautious of new doctrines. Be cautious of new doctrines. My wife, she, in the end, she gave me this phrase, uh, not everything that is old is gold, uh, but anything that is new can't be true. And I like that. It's easy to remember. Right? Because the thing is, is that the Word of God has been around for, especially the finished New Testament, it's been around for 2,000 years. And, 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 and men from, from scholarly geniuses to just average pastors have been studying it over and over and over again throughout the centuries. And through them and through their works, we've come to hold to these core doctrines of the truth. And so anything that's new, that, wow, I've come up with this new teaching that nobody has ever believed before, it should make you like, wait a minute. You know, I mean, I, I may not be the strongest Christian, but, you know, if, if this was correct, I think God would have spoken to us before. So just be, be, be careful. You know, don't be careful of new doctrines. Don't be blown about by those things. And the second is, be very cautious of, of people who promise uh, special blessings, especially special physical blessings, if you send money or you do specific things. And, and, and I'm, I'm, of course, meaning anything that's not clearly uh, outlined in Scripture. I mean, there's certainly, God blesses us with spiritual blessings, but if you see on TV that if you send in 995 for this blanket, anything, any illness in your family is going to be healed by this miracle blanket. Right? Be skeptical of that. Be skeptical of that. Because typically, that's not how God works. Thirdly, depend on the church. Depend on the church. And that, that's why it's so important for uh, you guys to be, not just come to church on Sunday and then leave right after the service, but to be involved, to be involved in Bible studies or small groups so, so that we can encourage one another, but also keep each other accountable. Ask questions. Say, I was hearing this preacher on the radio, and he was saying that, you know, in order to be saved, you have to do this or that. And I, I never really heard that before. What do you think about that? Right, please, you know, don't ever be afraid to ask Pastor Joe or ask Pastor or ask me if, if about a question you hear. Or um, well, we don't, may not always have the answer on the spot, but we'll we'll spend time looking into it for you. But depend on one another. That is why God has given us the church. We're made up of many members who do different things, but we're all working for one common purpose: to glorify God and to be in unity. So ask, ask friends, ask people you respect in the faith. Depend on them. And finally, fourth, above all, and, and, and when, you know, when push comes to shove, depend on Scripture. And that's the basis of what Peter's been saying this whole time. Don't just base things on experience. If you're, if you're confused about something, look to God's Word. Because it's the authority. It is the standard by which we measure everything. 
You know, if you're not sure where to find things, ask or look it up. Spend some time. There's great tools to help you. But ultimately, believe something not just because you know, Pastor Joe or I say it or uh, another pastor you may respect say it, but, but because the Word of God says it. And if you do these things and you depend on the Word of God, you will guard your hearts away from false teachers. And you will stand strong in the faith. And that's what we want to be known for. A church who stands strong on the word of truth and is not afraid to, to, to call sin, sin. And to call truth, truth. Is that your desire? Well, the next time we, we examine this, we're going to look to see what God has in store for these false teachers. But until then, I, I encourage you to grow in your faith. Make goals. Strive to grow. Um, strive to have your family to grow in Christian maturity. And in so doing, you will guard yourself from false teaching. Let's pray. Lord, we we thank you, first of all, for your grace in our lives. Lord, that you, out of your love for us, have seen it fit to to make yourself known to us. Lord, we were all lost and and living in our own sin. But through your grace, you, you have shown us light. You have shown us how to live. And you've reconciled yourself to us through the death of your Son on the cross. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room. I I pray for the church, even in general, Lord, that your word would go forth and that everybody would be on their, their guard against false teaching. But would heed and stick to and cling to your word as we would a light shining in a dark place. Lord, continue to grow the hearts of everybody in this room that we might grow to be more like your Son, and in so doing, bring you much glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.